This episode of Black and Yellow is sponsored by John Mark Collection, the all things custom headquarters and lifestyle brand. John Mark is an award-winning international clothing brand known for its custom fashion creations, but I've pivoted to customizing face masks during the pandemic, which is how we learned about the brand, because they made our face masks for the show. That's right, fam. We have merch now thanks to John Mark Collection, and we are thrilled. The process of getting the masks made was seamless, pun totally intended. I DM'd the company on Instagram, told them what I wanted the mask to look like, and emailed them a logo. They got back to me with fabric options and not one, but two design options. I okayed both, and the masks were in my mailbox a few days later. In total, the process was about 10 days from start to finish. Not only are the masks breathable and fashionable, but they are also super comfortable. They have adjustable straps for premium fit, are machine washable, and have a cotton layer backing with N95 infusion to keep you safe and protected. And every purchase of a face mask goes towards a good cause. A portion of the proceeds go toward aiding the homeless by providing them with everyday essentials and life necessities. If you want to customize face masks for your business or yourself, find them on Instagram at J-O-N-M-A-R-C underscore collection or at johnmarkcollection.com. That's J-O-N-M-A-R-C collection.com. When safety and style are mandatory, John Mark is necessary. This episode of Black and Yellow is sponsored by John Mark Collection, the all things custom headquarters and lifestyle brand. John Mark is an award-winning international clothing brand known for its custom fashion creations. But I've pivoted to customizing face masks during the pandemic, which is how we learned about the brand because they made our custom face masks for the show. That's right, fam. We now have merch thanks to John Mark Collection, and we are thrilled. The process of getting the masks made was seamless, pun totally intended. I DM'd the company on Instagram, told them what I wanted the mask to look like, and emailed them a logo. They got back to me with fabric options and not one, but two design options. I okayed both, and the masks were in my mailbox a few days later. In total, the process was about 10 days from start to finish. Not only are the masks breathable and fashionable, but they are also super comfortable. They have adjustable straps for premium fit, are machine washable, and have a cotton layer backing with N95 infusion to keep you safe and protected. And every purchase of a face mask goes towards a good cause. A portion of the proceeds go towards aiding the homeless by providing them with everyday essentials and life necessities. If you want to customize face masks for your business or yourself, find them on Instagram at J-O-N-M-A-R-C underscore collection or at johnmarkcollection.com. That's J-O-N-M-A-R-C collection.com. When safety and style are mandatory, John Mark is necessary. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's Jacqueline. And Alana. And here's another episode of Black and Yellow for you guys. Or I should say, oh, peace. Welcome back, lovely listeners, to this auditory oasis that we are cultivating throughout the month of October. All the shows this month will be wellness themed. And today we are going to talk about the language that the Mm. wellness industry uses to get us hooked and take our money. Yeah, I think the thing that appealed to us about tackling topics that fall under the umbrella of wellness is that 
Alana and I have always had different views on the wellness industry. I remember when we had our <laughs> our meeting about this month and we were brainstorming and it was just two very, not opposite, but, you know, very uh, apparently, obviously very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of took the stance of and, you know, if you guys don't know or if you guys do know, if you guys are listeners, re- uh, re- returning listeners, welcome back. If you're new listeners, uh, welcome. And I, on the show, am the one who's all about eating good, feeling good, thinking good. She's our resident naturalista. (laughs) My own personal commercial. (laughs) I like that. Um, So I've, uh, when I think of wellness, I immediately think of um, fitness, you know, yoga, um, all these like new, and I mean, the social media probably had a lot to do with it. You know, all these like air quotes, fitness models slash influencers um, <laughs> who look like they've done a ton of plastic surgery. Um, and obviously food um, and, you know, nutrition and and sort of and a little bit of the beauty, although that was kind of um, that was kind of like obvious to me that the beauty was fell under wellness. But like I never had like gone through that like beauty world myself, mm-hmm. just was never really exposed to it by my mom growing up. Um, so that was me on, on that end. And how about, how about you, Alana? (laughs) Yeah, uh, this month really excited me. I think we, we rarely disagree on much. Like we rarely stand on two different sides of a topic. This is a, a fine exception. So I am very excited to see where this month goes. Um, I've always thought that the wellness industry is very scammy and cult like, Um, We both grew up and continue to live in Los Angeles, California, where it feels like wellness is sold on every street corner and hawked on every block. And so I feel like my antennas and and flags regarding wellness are always sort of up and on guard Mm. just because I feel like that cult of wellness, very much like a cult of personality, um, is just so pervasive in this city. But um. I think that the wellness industry preys on us and it makes us feel bad about ourselves. It sells us pseudoscience framed mm-hmm. as facts. And it's not inclusive to people of color or bodies that aren't mainstream. I think that the wellness industry has a whiteness problem and prioritizes white wellness over the wellness of people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also hella expensive. Yeah. Or at least it can be. <laughs> And that exclusionary pricing just makes me wonder, hmm, is wellness for everyone or just for everyone who can afford it? Like a pair of Lululemon leggings. Like in order for me to be part of the wellness club, I have to have a pair of Lululemon leggings. And that's like a couple paychecks, you know, (laughs) like. Yeah, and it's like is are my are my my workout leggings from um Kohl's not good enough? I think right. I think their in-house brand is called Tech Gear. I have so much Kohl's workout wear, not because I'm a workout wear like I, I want to cheap out on workout wear, just because like I don't want to spend eighty dollars on a pair of leggings. Right, like, but it but it's embedded, you know, it is embedded in the yeah. Like, oh, you don't have you're not wearing whatever whatever hottest new athleisure whatever athletic wear then then maybe you're not legit enough you know but I'm actually really glad you said that because I think that's my biggest issue with wellness is that I feel like the wellness industry cultivates this feeling of always needing to have something or be in search of something 
Right. And I was grateful that you brought that up because I had never really like I feel like you always kind of opened my eyes to seeing something differently <laughs> awesome. because either like either I for sure was sucked in to the wellness industry and lured in and seduced and all that stuff. But I also am like that like that is me you know so like like i'm also like a prey to that you know like i'm all about feeling good and being healthy and so that overlap um is definitely happened throughout my life but also because like i was never exposed to the wellness industry very much growing up so like mm. i never saw it because my mom was never was never into that stuff so like i never no. had the lens of like that th- that they were bad you know or or right. that they were like doing things specifically to target or to be not inclusive or you know um all the stuff that you mentioned so it's just interesting like analyzing my own psychology and my own uh, journey through it all but also your mom is a legit chef she's not (laughs) like a hippy dippy food trend dabbler like your mom is a legitimate trained chef with a, a hardcore skill set right which i don't think is anywhere near on the same level as like your Instagram chefs that are cooking right. the like latest food trend that looks really great on camera, but might not taste that great. You right. Know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, I just want to clarify. She's not trained, but she has been cooking for over 45 years. And that is enough training. That's I was going to say for that's, anyone. <laughs> that's perfection in my book. That is consistency and perfection. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, like I hate that the wellness industry there's a feeling of almost like it can cultivate that feeling of addiction, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I'm constantly looking for the answers to life's big, heady questions. I'm constantly right. looking for that product to fix me internally or externally right. or like the perfect exercise regimen to exercise, to sweat out the toxins. And right. I feel like it's very easy to get swept away in the wellness wave and not learn to trust ourselves or our right. intuition or listen to our For inner sure. voice. Yeah, I think you touched on that perfectly. Like, uh, I agree. I think it's for me, what I've noticed is like, it's so much of the outward, right? Yeah. If you if you do this, if you buy this, if you wear this, and what we're missing is like the best way to actually figure all that stuff out. Yes, in conjunction to probably working out, right. whatever that may be for you. But really, it is to like go inward. And yeah. to really like to really like figure out what that what you are to you in a way. Right. Yeah. And I feel like people that are into wellness and then leave, that's what they come out thinking. Like I've had friends that are like, no, nah, I'm done with wellness. I'm just going to listen to myself now. And it's like, well, you should have been doing that all along. <laughs> that is wellness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so whether you are a wellness junkie or a wellness skeptic, you've probably heard some of the language that wellness uses to sell us on their products. Slogans like no guts, no glory, more life. It's never been about the bike or beauty products inspired by real life. Oh, gosh. All of those are marketing tactics used to plan our emotions, and the wellness industry sells product and and banks off of our insecurities. Why? Because at the end of the day, the wellness industry is a $4.2 trillion with a T. I can't even visualize what that is a number. Trillion? I can't a even tr- visualize Is a trillion it. a hundred billion? Something to, trillion? Look, something to Google, because I <laughs> just cannot fathom that figure. But that's how much the wellness industry is raking in, $4.2 trillion. But it's also Lord. growing, thanks to the pandemic. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So let's just add a couple more trillion to that. Yeah. I mean, because like, think about it. The pandemic is making people more anxious and depressed. It's making people of all ages, genders, races, think about their mortality. Some have oh, probably yeah. never thought about their mortality before. And now well, they're also, thinking about it. Also, too, like this year has been tough. Like yeah. how many, despite how many people have had maybe personal serious issues with like COVID in, in, in our own lives or, or all that, all the people that we know that have had issues, right. Yep. And all that stuff. But I mean, amongst the list of how many people have passed away within this year that were people in the spotlight, you yep. know, mm-hmm. cause real life doesn't stop with the pandemic. Like it's real no. life compounded by the, by the pandemic. Yeah. And in all of this uncertainty and in, in, in these really, trying chaotic uncertain times like people want answers people want to feel better about themselves people want to be well people want some sort of concreteness or reliable evidence that everything will be okay and that they will survive this uncertain time Mm -hmm. and wellness is one of the industries that is raking in the dough because of all of that need and want Right. So, I mean, what makes us want to invest our money in a wellness brand? What are the the linguistic tactics that companies use to sell us on their ideology and and therefore, obviously, their product? Stay out my wallet. (laughs) What keeps us hooked and coming back for more like a drug? Uh, You know, definitely... Our identities, they play on our identities as as advertisers. Uh, They make us believe that we need what they're selling. Um, Why does the wellness feel like a cult, like you mentioned? And all of these questions and so much more. We have such an exciting interview for you. will be answered (laughs) today. Um, I'm sure it'll get your mind rolling and going. Um, But first, as you guys all know, let's put our money where our mouth is. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Nom, nom, nom. Yum. (laughs) Yum. So this segment is, uh, again, our form of economic protest. This is where we share um, a Black-owned, woman-owned, Asian-owned business. Uh, Put your money where your mouth is, literally, where we buy Black, buy Asian, and support our fellow people during this time and hopefully now always. Um, So I really like mine. Um, They are called Diaspora Co. And I... Full disclosure, I didn't know how to say this word properly, so Alana helped me. Um, I, I had to ask her. So this is what the pandemic is doing to me. I'm apparently forgetting how to speak or read. Um, I love or you, girl. Say. I got you all the way. So they are a spice company. Um, I This is kind of like right up my alley as well. Um, they work in close partnership with the Indian Council of Agricultural Research to identify and provide ongoing support to partner farmers, all of whom are on the cutting edge of regenerative and sustainable agriculture. Um, they are women and um, women and queer owned. Um, Sana Jervi Kadri, founder and CEO. Um, so they essentially um, put the money, equity, and power into the hands of Indian farmers to disrupt mm. and decolonize an outdated commodity spice trading system. So if we go back, we can go back, uh, like this is just a little bit of history, but like way, way, way back, how that you know, spice trade and, you know, everything that happened with India and colonization. So it's really interesting that she kind of really brings that up because I think people forget like, oh, that just happened in history. But we forget like, yes, it happened in history and it is still happening now because it happened, you know, 
X amount of years ago. So um, what do they mean by decolonization? They mean by creating a spice trade that redistributes power away from solely the trader, instead empowers its farmers, laborers, and the earth. Um, so because they cut out all the middlemen, they can hugely increase the amount of money they pay to the partner farms. And they can also work with much smaller farms um, who in the traditional model would have lacked the capital or resource to export or scale. Um, so the focus then again can become go back to flavor, sustainability, um, heirloom seed and, you know, their farmers match the criteria, then they can definitely partner up with um, diaspora. So it's really cool, and I think you guys should check them out. And it's all about their supply chain, their their story. Um, you can shop, and I mean, who doesn't like Indian food? Um, True. maybe some people don't, but I mean, give it a try. And regardless, you can add a little spice. You don't have to be cooking Indian food. Uh, food can be. I love food. I've been cooking for a long time. Like Alana said, my mom's a <laughs> chef. You know, just a little bit of spice goes a long way. And if you want to change things up during this uh, pandemic and try a new recipe, you know, sprinkle a little turmeric here or a little bit of, you know, try a curry. You never know what will happen. Um, so, yeah. Ooh, two things about your spotlight. Hey, I haven't had good Indian food since the pandemic began. I just feel like I can't cook good Indian food at home. It's I, I just feel like <laughs> really? I'm equipped. Yeah. Like, I, ju- I just I feel, feel like, like I'm so equipped. Okay. I just feel like Indian food is like, it is its own animal. And I feel like I never do it well. That's just, that's, I just had All to put righty. that out there. But now you're making me want Indian food. And also that's a really interesting show topic idea. Cause I don't uh, know much about the corrupted spice trade. Like, I don't know um, much about it at all. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, I think we could, there's many episodes on this, but yeah, specifically like, you know, in, oh, there's a, a, if we want to talk wellness, a bunch of like beauty companies will like, you know, outsource certain things to like farmers in Mexico. Um, but because huh. these, it's almost like the fast, let me, let me see if I can use an analogy for you to understand better. Like sure. it's almost like the fast fashion industry, like forever 21 doesn't know what they're doing to the sweatshops in India because mm-hmm. they outsource and they contract these so-called other companies who then deal with the small farmers. So essentially it's like what she's saying is like you cut out the middleman and you can actually make everyone else happier in that sense. Um, But yeah, a a spice one would be good because I don't know too much either. It makes perfect sense the way she, she describes it and what, what I know of, of, you know, of, of history in that sense. But yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. (laughs) Okay. Quick. Somebody called Padma Lakshmi. (laughs) Okay. So I am going with a black owned CBD company. Uh, It's called Kadara CBD. And I just felt like if there are three letters that are shaking up the wellness industry, it is CBD. Not to be confused with THC. That's the thing in marijuana. Very different. You high. Very, very different. Uh, CBD is derived from the hemp plant and it is legal in the United States. I repeat, it is legal. In the United States and has a whole host of health properties, everything from fighting pain, aiding in anxiety and depression. It helps to fight inflammation. Um, I just feel like we couldn't do a wellness themed month without mentioning CBD. And I wanted to provide our listeners with a black owned CBD Mm -hmm. company for anyone who wants to try it for the first time. Uh, Kadara CBD is a black owned health and wellness brand founded by Katrina Tompkins. She's an ICU nurse currently serving on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic in NYC. 
The product line offers an extensive variety of high quality organic CBD products ranging from oils, edibles, topicals. I use their natural CBD oil for my eczema and it's great to pet treats. Uh, when I say pet treats, I mean like chew, like, like jerkies and chewy treats and also tinctures to put in pet food and bath bombs. I really like their sour wiggle edibles. They're delicious and they feel like a more adult version of um, those sour bright crawlers. Uh-huh. Those like sour gummy worms that we would eat as a kid. Yeah. And still as an adult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Kadara CBD and also Diaspora Co. I will put all of these links in the show notes. It sounds like it can be a very tasty October and a very Ooh, tranquil October yummy, if you yummy. decide to shop with the two of them. But relax. As Jackie teased at top of episode, we do have a badass guest. Mm-hmm. We are thrilled to be talking to her today. Her name is Amanda Montel. She's a feminist, linguist, and all-around badass from Baltimore, Maryland, though she currently resides here in Los Angeles, California. She is the author of the critically acclaimed book, Word Slut, a feminist guide to taking back the English language, which has earned praise from the New York Times, Time Magazine, Bust, Harper's Bazaar, Kirkus Reviews, and Publishers Weekly, among others. Amanda's also currently developing Word Slut into a TV series with FX, where she serves as creator, writer, and executive producer. You know, slight work. That's all. Uh, (laughs) Amanda is also a reporter and an essayist. Her work has been featured in Marie Claire, Glamour, Cosmopolitan, Nylon, Bustle, The Rumpus, and Birdie, where she formerly served as the features and beauty editor. Yet another reason why we're talking to her today. (laughs) We brought Amanda on because she's working on a really fascinating new book that will blow your minds and leave your jaws agape as it did ours. And we have so much to talk to her about and we're so excited. Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We are so excited that you're here. Yeah. Let's start by, yay, good to have you. Let's start by having you tell our audience about the work that you do, but also about the past that you have in the wellness industry. Of course. So my name is Amanda Montel, and um, I'm a writer. I live in Los Angeles, and I'm also a language scholar. My background is in linguistics, um, and that is what I used to write my first book, Word Slut, A Feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language, which is this um, fun and enlightening, super accessible, quick and dirty crash course in the subject of language and gender. Um, but now I'm getting toward the end of writing my second book, um, and I haven't formally announced the title yet, so I'm keeping it a bit of a secret. Ooh, um, okay. I'm, I'm going to announce it soon, um, but if you follow me at Amanda underscore Montel on Instagram, you'll be one of the first to know. Done and done, okay. <laughs> um, but the second book is about the language of cults from Scientology to Soul Cycle. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's fun stuff, and uh your your listeners can't see me uh put those scare quotes around the word cult because defining that word is a journey in and of itself since it's become one of those words uh not unlike gender that can mean so many different things depending Mm. on the context depending on the background of the speaker um and as our cultural relationship to ideas like community and spirituality and identity and purpose become really complicated uh defining the word cult becomes really complicated too um so (laughs) 
the book the book looks at this wide <laughs> spectrum of groups that the word cult can be applied to in contemporary culture from those as destructive and notorious as Jonestown and Heaven's Gate and Scientology to multi-level marketing yeah. companies and um, indeed to fitness mm. and wellness brands all the way to social media influencers wow. um, and Reddit incels. So that is a lot. The, yes, oh. it is a lot. And what a, what um, a dark nook. Yes, but um, it's super fascinating and I'm looking at it from this language angle. So this is really a book about cult influence. Like our mm. culture tends to provide pretty lame pseudoscientific answers to the question of cult influence. We tend to say mm. like, oh, it's just all brainwashing. They drink the Kool-Aid. Um, mm -hmm. But really brainwashing, much like the word cult, is um, a word and a concept that scholars who study this stuff tend to reject because it's it's pseudoscientific you huh. can't prove that brainwashing doesn't exist it's incontrovertible therefore it can't meet the scientific method there are all these reasons why brainwashing um, which is a metaphor doesn't really exist in any kind of scientific way so what's really going on um, are these different tactics of conversion conditioning and coercion um, in these are uh. ideas that were described by the wonderful religion scholar Rebecca Moore but my thesis is that these methods of conversion conditioning and coercion all have to do with language and mm -hmm. language is really the key to cult influence and in fascinating the book, i break down what cult language sounds like and how it shows up in stories that we've all probably heard on some level like the stories of jonestown and scientology yep. but also how it shows up in our startup offices in our boutique fitness studios mm. on our instagram feeds etc um, wow so yeah that's what the book is about super i'm so curious Ooh. Dude, I have goosebumps. Yeah. I, so, so I heard about your latest literary baby on the podcast Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn. It was a great yeah. interview. And I know that all three of us here on this podcast live in Los Angeles. Are you from L.A., Amanda? No, I grew up in Baltimore. Um, okay. And my this actually goes back to the question of like why I'm interested in cults and my background with regard Please. to wellness too. So I, um, I'm the daughter of a long line of research scientists. Mm. Um, my dad is a neuroscientist. My mom is a developmental biologist, cancer cell biologist, and they did their research cool. my whole upbringing at Johns Hopkins, which is um, why I grew up in Baltimore. And yeah. um, my grandparents were research scientists too. And my dad spent um, his high school years against his will in a kind of famous cult called Synanon. He was forced to join by his Ooh. sort of absentee um, socialist father. And um, I grew up on his cult tales. And Whoa. Interesting. Yes. And so I was super interested in them. And then, of course, being the daughter of scientists, I grew up a skeptic. I was raised to <laughs> question and analyze. Everything, yeah. Yes. And um, my middle school best friend, we were just talking about her before we started recording. She was a Paris Hilton type. She had a lot, she had a lot of cult charisma. Anyway, <laughs> she, um, she, her mom was an evangelical Christian who went to a mega church. And Ooh. much to my parents' dismay, I would sometimes skip Hebrew school on Sundays to attend their mega church with them as an anthropological experiment. Okay. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> no, of course. No, literally. I was just like, I was just like, what the fuck? Like, mm -hmm. what how do some people End up believe here. in this, participate in this? Yeah. This seems batshit to me, but like what is really going on? Um, and the thing that fascinate fascinated me most about this community was the way they used language. Um mm. 
there was this dialect of evangelicalese that they would all drop into. And I was like, I wonder if I learn to speak or if I learn some of these words, if I'll be able to disguise myself as an insider, if they won't be Ooh. able to know that I'm like this mole who's like spying <laughs> on them. And so I learned to use words like um, missional and intentional and these kind of shibboleths, these like evangelical shibboleths, like how they would say um, when something was on their mind, they would say it was on my heart. Or mm. um, you would say um, you would always describe the devil as the father of lies in the world. You know, the secular world is run by the father of lies. And um, you would use words like convicted and in the word. It was how you would describe um, spending time reading the Bible. And I was like, whoa, like, what is this language doing? It feels so culty to me, but like, why is it here? Um, mm -hmm. And so that kind of like fertilized the soil of my cult language obsession. Mm. And then when I grew up and got a job as a beauty editor at like a beauty and wellness website, <laughs> I oh boy. couldn't help but feel reminded of that evangelical megachurch because there were all of these shibboleths, all of mm -hmm. these um, special terms that didn't really mean anything that you couldn't say in plain English, but they were there to sort of divide people into an us and a them, to instill yes. ideology, to um, create solidarity, but also enemies, um, and do all the things that these sort of cultish groups need to do. Um, so I finally, I was like, I need to write a book about all this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in the way that you're talking about cults and language, it feels like there's little cults everywhere. Yeah. Like Jackie and yeah. I are both actors. That's its own version of a cult. We Ooh, live in L.A. Oh, and yeah. speak L.A. language as as East Coasters would speak sort of New York language. I mean, in that regard, it just feels like every the world is full of little cults. Which yeah. ones do you belong to? And they're not necessarily bad. I mean, the word cult gained this really dark connotation um, mm. sometime, sometime in in pretty recently, over the past hundred years or so, you know, the, the word cult didn't start out as um, a negative word. It was, um, well, back in its very early days, um, it was a word that meant homage paid to divinity. And then over the years, it became wow. a kind of churchly classification alongside religion and sect. Huh. And then um, as a lot of cultural things happen, and I document this, the history of this word in the book, um, it came to describe sort of like you know, fringy quack groups um, at the outskirts <laughs> of society. But it really wow, wasn't until, yeah, but it really wasn't until like the Mansons and Jonestown that mm. people, that everybody in our culture started to know in scare right. quotes what, uh -huh. a cult, what a cult was and fear it so urgently. But really like most groups that have been called cults could be called cults most of most of these alternative religions um, or alternative secular secular groups that have rituals and things um, they're not dangerous and they don't commit violent crimes but some of them do and um, <laughs> mm. they're they're sec I mean the way that I think of a cult um, and again it's in scare quotes and I don't even really use the word cult in the book um, mm, I, interesting. I I use a word I do, but it's always in these scare quotes. A word that I use instead is something I can't reveal because it's the title of the book. <laughs> okay, got um, it. It's something I like, and maybe sort of like half coining. I don't know, but um, I think of these groups as, you know, what they have in common is this like intense devotion, fanaticism, mm -hmm. um, charismatic leaders, 
rituals. They provide meeting and community. Um, they're, they're, they really provide what religion provides, even the secular ones. Um, but they're not necessarily bad. However, when a, a leader, a charismatic leader, wields as much power as these groups tend to wield, you can exploit it for Right. (laughs) Well, I think that's a great lead into my next question, because I feel like some people do Jesus or Yahweh or or whatever form of God. And then other people do wellness. Like wellness feels like its own organized way of thinking. We won't use the word cult in this case. Why does wellness feel like its own form of religion? And how the fuck did we get here? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So wellness is an interesting word because basically the wellness industry is the beauty industry, the diet industry, and the fitness industry that we've all lumped into the wellness industry. Ah. And um, wellness sounds much better than all those things. And um, (laughs) yes, this language has changed as the role of these corporations um, has intensified in our culture. So basically, Uh. as contemporary seekers migrate away from big, long-established institutions like traditional church, the mainstream medical establishment, and the government, as we lose our trust in these institutions, we turn to sort of woke capitalist Mm. corporations to get our healthcare and our spirituality, you know, to feel, to fill those voids. Um, Mm. And that can be risky because when you're putting your ethical system and your body in the hands of a profit-driven company, um, you know, things can go wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> but things but things were going wrong anyway, you know? It's, it's dangerous right. to put your entire self into any given powerful group. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're losing places to turn, so now we're turning to the likes of Goop and SoulCycle and Moonjuice and Glossier um, to, to answer big questions like, who am I in this increasingly transient, lonely world? You know, what is my identity? What are my ethics? What is my community? Um, and the the fastest growing companies, the fastest growing brands in our culture are those that not only sell goods and services, but answers to those questions. Um, and the the wellness industry is is providing those. Um, the wellness industry, these these companies, um, are accompanied by what social scientists call organizational ideologies. And most brands have organizational ideologies, their values beyond the products and services. So Mm. let's say I buy this non-toxic, organically sourced, ethically made, (laughs) CBD infused eye cream. You know, Uh the the promise is (laughs) not just, right? Like the promise is not just that this thing is going to moisturize my under eye area which is mm-hmm. all that it will do since i worked in the beauty industry eye cream, <laughs> eye cream is a scam people it just eye cream is a scam it cannot get rid of your puffy eyes or your under eye circles like oh, ever i just bought a it 95 dollar eye cream don't no, tell me that girl. it really can't it's just moisturizer i'm telling you <laughs> anyways but not only are they promising you that it's going to get rid of your under eye bags and your dark circles and your wrinkles, it's promising that you're going to be an ethical, sexy, cool, good, engaged, woke person in general. Mm. Um, that's what an organizational ideology is. You know, like mm. your your ashwagandha supplement and your eye cream and your and your soul cycle merch comes with promises much greater than um, just the, the product themselves. Mm. 
Um, and basically with wellness, it's it's a really compelling it's a really compelling industry because in the U.S. we're taught to fetishize self improvement, and wellness is is a riveting form of self improvement to us yeah. because it demonstrates American values like motivation, perseverance, productivity, and a commitment to meeting normative beauty standards. Um, and so the language of cult wellness. And um, I talk a lot about fitness in my book. So basically, um, a lot of language rituals that we attribute to religion, like affirmations and mantras and chants started to meld with exercise. And they also meld with, you know, with wellness and general skincare and the like. They, that process started, um, you know, around 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. Now, you know, the language of cult wellness, which is a lot of be your best self, you know, change your body, change your mind, change your life helps connect aspects of religion like devotion and submission and transformation to secular virtues like efficiency, progress and physical attractiveness. So like, you know, earnestly seeking out a fringe spiritual group would be a stretch for most modern citizens, but following that shot of woo-woo with mm -hmm. a chaser of capitalistic ambition makes it go down a little smoother. <laughs> um, Self-improvement. So. That's a hell of a drug. I'm telling yeah. you. 100%. You said it. That's so <laughs> fascinating. It's like, it's, I feel like my eyes just got like opened up to like <laughs> seeing the world in a totally different way. Like just like, I'm thinking next time I'm like scrolling through Instagram, like how differently I'm going to be reading yeah, you promotions know, and all that stuff. It's wild. They're really, you know, they're capitalizing on, well, the wellness industry, which again, compromises the diet and the beauty industry has always capitalized on anxieties that women, primarily women, are supposed right. to have. Um, and these anxieties are manifold and they are expanding all the time. So whether it's your under eye bags or your cellulite or your um, wonky gut bacteria or whatever, mm -hmm. the, the wellness industry is going to find a way to tell you, you need to feel anxious about this. You even need to feel anxious about your anxiety. Like, did you know this? You have anxiety. Mm -hmm. And now here is a product. And here's the thing about a toxic industry, um, like wellness, which is the same as a toxic community, which is the same as a toxic relationship. It's not going to be 100% bullshit or 100% bad. There is going to be mm -hmm. some good there. And that good is going to justify the, the negativity. It's going to keep you coming back, right? Like it's the same ah. as a negative relationship so or a toxic relationship. So the wellness industry is going to tell you this, 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 and this is wrong with you. And maybe you'll see some truth in that. But then what's fucked up is that they're going to sell you an FDA unregulated, probably ineffectual eye cream or supplement or whatever to fix this problem that in the end probably won't be fixed. But I want to read you this, um, <laughs> this, this press release that I, that I found in my old work inbox when I was looking yes. for, um, because, you know, there were just like all these pitches that capitalized explicitly on the word cult and also on these lofty, almost religious sounding promises in order to sell fucking lipstick. So like um, <laughs> even even brands that we love, like I found a Pat McGrath press release, the makeup Ooh, brand Pat McGrath yes. that said like, take a sneak peek at the next cult phenomenon. And this language is not unique, right? Like right. They, they're this trendy makeup brand that's swearing that 
this new face powder that they were coming out with from their so-called cult lab was mm. going to send beauty junkies as if it's a drug and make up fanatics into a frenzy. That's a verbatim quote. And then there was this other pitch from a, a, a wellness, like a CBD wellness brand called Tribe Tokes that vowed mm. that their $150 cult favorites set of CBD infused elixirs is more than just skincare. It's the priceless gift of an opportunity to decompress and love oneself in order to handle whatever life throws out them, which is throws at them, sorry, which is uh -huh. a hefty promise for um, a CBD-infused skincare elixir to make. But that's the language that's being thrown at us. And um, because there's no FDA regulation about ingredients and whatever in the wellness industry, they're able to make these really metaphorical, euphemistic, grandiose promises that we might not even realize in the moment are metaphors. Mm -hmm. um, so that can Fascinating. be dangerous. Yeah. yeah, that is. There's also something about that language that feels slightly challenging. It's like, do you want to be down? Do you want to be in? Do you want to buy into this product that, um, that most other people want to buy into as well? Are you on board or are you not in that regard? Right, right, For exactly. Sure. I mean, you, yeah, I, I, you, you, you totally answered my next question, I, but I just want to ask you in the midst of all this and picking back of what Alana just said, how there are people who are susceptible to it and, and others are not as well. Right. Definitely. So how would you, how would you, how would you explain that? Yeah. So there's so many answers to this and it's really complicated <laughs> and it's super fascinating. And I, and I go into it in the book, you know, like why does cultish language really work on some people this like too good to be true type language or this woo woo type language why does it really resonate with some and not others and there are a few answers to this so first of all physiologically anthropology research shows that when human beings engage in group religious language rituals it feels really good. So mm. when we engage in group religious chanting um, or speaking in tongues even, um, or, or- Group meditation. Yeah, group meditations, those ohms, those, those mantras, mm -hmm. it releases um, stress-reducing chemicals in our body. Mm. It makes us relaxed. Sometimes it induces- Dopamine. Totally. Always good feeling. Yeah, yeah. It it reduces cortisol. Sometimes it um it puts us in a slight and very pleasant state of dissociation. Um, mm. it, it increases confidence, and those those are good feelings. And they're um and those rituals are not necessarily destructive. Um, mm. but sometimes they can be when, when a leader. <laughs> When a, when a megalomaniacal, narcissistic, abusive leader is exploiting them for evil, then then they can be. Um, but so then there's this other question of like, okay, but I personally, Amanda Montel, am not going to engage in group religious mm. linguistic rituals because I think it's culty, you know, like it's not for me. So why is that? And um, what social scientists have found and what I found in my research too is that there are a number of qualities that can that can contribute to someone's gullibility, you know, like the social science of gullibility. What a lot of researchers have found is that even people who've joined really destructive cults like Jonestown and mm. the Manson family and the Moonies, mm -hmm. um, you'd think you'd think like they're they're naive, they're desperate, they're stupid, maybe they're even disturbed. 
but that's that's a total myth um that like the brainwashing myth really what what because there's a difference between someone who goes to an initial meeting and someone who stays, someone who sticks it out. And the people who stay in these groups mm. who really stick it out, they're not desperate or naive or disturbed. What they really exhibit is an overabundance of idealism. Optimism is their fatal flaw. Huh. They tend mm. to be really bright humble, service-minded folks who tend to see the good in people and situations even to their detriment. Like, oh, if I only hold out, if I only put a little more faith in, then this group really will fulfill its promises. Um, and there are some ingrained human reasoning uh, flaws there, like the sunk cost fallacy and confirmation bias, um, which none of us are immune to. Those are like social psychology, behavioral economics ideas that I go into more into the book, but um, <laughs> in the book. But um, yeah, so optimism can uh, oddly make people susceptible to cult influence. Um, mm. These these folks were the children of, you know, firefighters and educators and activists, not skeptical scientists. Um, so <laughs> that's one thing. Um, another thing is uh, that can contribute to gullibility is um, being in a good mood. People who are in a good mood versus a bad mood tend to believe too good yeah. to be true language. Right. Um, also, you know, your upbringing, like I said, childhoods have to do with it. If you were brought up with trust issues, mm. you're probably not going to have that optimism or sign up to be in a, in a scammy situation or a culty situation. Um, of course, having, you know, higher education and training in the scientific method is going to keep you from believing a uh, language that's a little scammy or too good to be true. There are so many factors that go into it. It's really complex. So some of it has to do with nature. Some has mm. to do with nurture. Um, and it's, yeah, it's super interesting stuff. Fascinating. I have a question, Amanda, because wellness as a, a pseudo religion feels very young. But my parents' generation were like the Catholics and the Baptists and whatnot. Is it wrong in thinking that wellness is sort of a younger, more generational way, like version of spirituality than the older organized forms of religion that our parents had? I totally think so, because um, statistic after stati statistic will tell you that something like 40% of people under the age of 30 identify as atheist or agnostic. Um, oh, so wow. Yeah, it's like a, it's the number is increasing really rapidly um, and they are rejecting the churches and religions that our parents um, grew up in or, or sent us to when we were young. At the same time, though, we're still craving spirituality and meaning mm. and community. Right. And so course. we're looking to secular groups um, to it. fill these voids. And wellness, um, again, for all the reasons I already uh, <laughs> enumerated, stated. is uh, yeah, is a really compelling secular religion. Got it. Mm -hmm. How has the pandemic and the protests and all the massive social change affected people's relationship to wellness and the way that we interact with it? Oh, my God. You know, I don't really have um, data on this. Okay. And I I haven't. Well, OK, so I did. I, I did write my fitness cults chapter in quarantine Ooh. and it was really interesting because I had planned to try out all of these cult workouts in person. And then <laughs> I had to do the, and, you're, and, you're like, you're like a double agent. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I know. It. I mean, that's, what's fun about this cult stuff is that like, 
I love being a spy. Like, I love <laughs> participating. Um, I think it's super fun. And the the especially fun stuff about the cult workout stuff is that the stakes are low. You know, yeah. like there have been a handful of really, really destructive fitness cults like Bikram yoga and um, and core power yoga is, is really controversial and fucked up. But, you know, what I found mm. is that workout, workout. Oh, do you do core power? Uh, no, but I've heard about why it's fucked up. So I'm like, oh, OK. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so core power, core power has uh, is exploitative, but um, but what I've discovered about cult workouts like um, Soul Cycle and and Peloton and um, yeah. all all of these different yeah. cult workouts is that ultimately yes, they are they are culty, they are cultish, they're fanatical, but there are a few things that make them safe, and one of the things that that makes them safe is that they don't they don't actually take over your entire life. They allow you to enter and exit what um, some social scientists describe as ritual time. It's Hmm. like a sacred space where you're participating in these like kind of weird woo woo rituals. But at the end of the day, you're allowed to kind of clock out and um, reassume your own language and Mm. your own uniform and your own ideologies. And maybe it does inform those, but you're not constantly at the mercy of um, your instructor or your leader's ideology. Uh Um, Your your experience is in your control. Um, Your language is in your control. So there's like a suspension of disbelief there. It's like, okay, I'm in the SoulCycle studio right now. Or I'm on my Peloton bike right now, so I'm going to grunt and chant and scream and, like, act like I'm at a freaking tent revival. But as soon as I, you know, unclip my cycling shoes, I'm back, I'm back to my real life. Got it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's ultimately one of the things that um, makes these groups not super um, concerning. <laughs> so huh. anyway, I had to test all of these workouts online um, and Amazing. do, like, these online workouts. Um, and you know, I think that the fitness industry is going to go through a rough time because these were our like in-person sites of connection and spirituality. And now for a while, we're going to have to do them all online. And that's, um, you know, we're, we're basically losing our church. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? We're, we're losing our in-person church. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not because I, here's the other thing. I fucking hate exercise. So I was like, (laughs) okay. I was like, oh, darn, I can't go to fucking Orange Theory. Oh, no. Um, but uh, spoiler alert, I did find a cult workout that I am, like, so on board with. Like, I just think it's so lo- wonderful. And it's called Intensati. And what's funny about it is that I, I just think- changed the word. Oh, my God. Yes. No, it's a portmanteau of the word intention and the Pali word for mind- mindfulness, which is sati. But huh. yes, they basically just took the word intensity and they like switched around the energy. Of course. That, um, is, so, that is so, so like so, that world. I know. It's so woo-woo. And if I describe <laughs> it to you, you're going to like roll your eyes right out of your head and be like, Amanda, you might as well just like <laughs> go to Burning Man and like put on a fucking like yes. robe and I do want to go to Burning Man but I've been, um, uh, yes I've missed it for the past like, five pa- the past five years I've gone and I missed it this year yeah I was I was going to go and I was going to go with a group that is cult themed I know uh, I know an author who runs a cult themed Burning Man camp huh what's the and, name of the camp oh god I forget I mean her name well she has a podcast too she's great her name is Sarah Ennie 
We'll talk off mic. Shout out. I'm in a yeah. themed camp as well. It's a relaxation themed camp. It's called oh, Zen as Fuck. But I would like to know more about this camp. I love that. Yeah, I was going to go um, and I was going to possibly write about it. But oh, well, that was foiled. Um, yeah. But I think, <laughs> you know, I think that there have been some wellness communities that have really taken advantage of our increased anxiety and panic in, mm. in quarantine. Um a lot of the, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of MLMs, like wellness MLMs, like essential oil MLMs. doTERRA, um, Young oh Living. Dude, make like really oh. fucked up claims, not only about how their essential oils can like protect your immune system. Cure and cancer. Utter, utter quackery, but also about how now that we're all working from home, now's the time to start your own business and be a hashtag girl boss and take this once in a lifetime opportunity to sell once <laughs> with them. Right. Mm. Once in a lifetime opportunity. That's yes. that's the key right there. So I think, you know, the the pandemic is obviously a time when our needs for comfort, the comforts that religion used to give us are increasing. However, like we're separate <laughs> from everyone. And I, I don't know, this is maybe just a theory, but it's and I'm spitballing here, but it's possible that really destructive online cults like QAnon mm. might have been intensified because we're all just on our computers all day long and we're not connecting in yeah. person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God. Fascinating. I mean, you did touch upon this question I have for you next about how the capitalist language, how, how they use a specific language to take our money. And so you read a little bit from your old work and everything they they do it on purpose to target us especially women to take our money um did you did you experience like any like hand like i don't know like anything anything where you were just like you could see right through because most people can't see right through it right yeah you know something that is really a pet peeve of mine is when the wellness industry will pass off some of these products as feminist empowerment. Mm. Like Ooh. by putting on your eye cream in the morning and your mascara and your makeup, like that's you being the hashtag girl boss that you are so that you can, and a lot of this language over, overlaps with the MLM <laughs> industry because another spoiler alert, MLMs and just American capitalism in general and startup right. culture and, and work culture in general derive from the same Protestant capitalist origins. Mm. So MLMs are like the fucked up, like extreme uh, brainchild of like mm -hmm. Protestant capitalism and a lot of different historical events. But we are all, we are all sort of conditioned over the course of our lives to value productivity. Um, right. And especially as women, like we have, pressure on us to you know bust through that glass ceiling and race yeah. to the corporate ladder yeah. and like become successful in male-dominated spaces and right. when prove ourselves totally and when wellness slash beauty slash diet <laughs> companies tell us that putting on our makeup in the morning is going to help us smash the patriarchy you know that's that's kind of gaslighty and i right. would challenge mm. that because 
you know, I, I might very well want to put my eye cream on the morning on in the morning because I don't want my under eyes to look dry, but it's <laughs> certainly not helping me smash the patriarchy. In right. fact, it might be kind of like reinforcing the patriarchy, but because it's telling us all that like women need to look perfect right. or that we need, even need eye cream. Exactly. Which like we right. fucking don't, there's no such thing right. as needing eye cream. Um, but if you want the eye cream for like call a spade a spade, like you want the eye cream because you don't want to have wrinkles. It's fine. But like, yeah. if, but like none of us should want wrinkles. Like if women don't want wrinkles, men shouldn't want fucking wrinkles. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. Right. No, totally. Like Quite we simple. should all feel terrible about ourselves. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, something else that I find quite disturbing is that so much of the language of really kind of like the diet fitness and of the wellness industry has these really Protestant capitalist um, mm. religious undertones. So when you hear verbiage like detox, purification, discipline, mm, yeah. um, there's like, or calling certain foods a sin or cur- calling certain foods guilt-free, um, there's undeniably religious undertones there fascinating um capitalism and protestantism are also um very much intertwined and so you know it's just it's it's bizarre when i'll like walk through a grocery store and i'll see on a package of frozen mac and cheese that it's called guilt free and Ah. i'm like that is so protestant like it's so religious and i'm like bitch i'm a jew i don't care See, I, I don't that. need guilt-free. And I also feel like that is speaking directly to women because I don't feel yeah. like men pick up yeah. mac and cheese and are like, guilt-free mac and cheese. Fuck it's going to yeah, make my bro. butt look big. Yeah. Like, You're correct. Like, You're like correct. The, the gendered, con- like, I'm trying to think of this word off the top of my, off the, uh, off the cuff. Um, why does it feel so gendered in that way? Where something like fasting feels very masculine in terms of wellness. Mm. Challenge yourself. Detox. Mm-hmm. Discipline. But like beauty and looking your best and living your best life. I don't hear men say that shit. Like what, yeah. what, why is that? Some words are just tacitly coded masculine and tacitly mm. coded feminine. Um, and this applies to every corner of culture so um it's it's why you might feel like it's wrong in your guts like that um that someone would describe you as hysterical or crazy or hormonal as a way to write off your emotions but then they might gaslight you and say like those aren't sexist words there's nothing gendered about those words and it's like that's Uh, true but their historical usage has has been been directed at women and actually Mm. the word hysteria in particular derives from the ancient greek word for womb and that's been gendered for forever but um but yeah some some words are really just marketed to women and some words are just marketed to men and that and thus they be, be they become coded gender even mm. though the words themselves are not gendered right um and certainly the wellness industry is going to use certain language to compel women's business um or to bring in women's business than men's business but like you know it's one of the reasons why I mean, I do think that there are some sort of more gender neutral workouts. Like, I think that Soul Cycle classes actually these days are pretty evenly split. Like, there are totally. a lot of dudes in Soul Cycle, but 
the the language of soul cycle is very like tony robbins self-help which is also kind of gender neutral it's just like super like tough love capitalist catharsis. yes for sure change your mind change your body change your life like you can fucking do this yeah yeah like climb the mountain of your achievements oh my god i don't even know i like i watched that documentary oh my god oh my god oh my god (laughs) Um, just oh my god, uh, yeah. But then, but then there are like more gendered classes, like bar classes are very much geared toward women. But CrossFit classes, CrossFit mm. classes, some of them are a little more evenly split. But the language of CrossFit is very much, um, you know, macho drill sergeant mm. beast mode. No guts, no glory. Um, they even, you know, they even have some military language that they use in CrossFit, and so that's obviously geared towards a more masculine demographic, um, but it's just, it's fucking marketing. (laughs) Can we talk race for a second? Because we've talked on these episodes in our wellness month about how the wellness industry has a whiteness problem. Have you noticed any changes in the language that the wellness industry is using to sell to minorities, especially in light of recent issues going on? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of these sort of white feminist, white female founded wellness companies, um, should I name them? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> but like these we sort of- spicy talk. Oh, I love throwing people under the bus, but um, <laughs> including myself. But I, you know, a lot of these like boho Karen companies mm. over the past few months have done what the wellness industry has always done. The wellness industry is super nimble when it comes to language because they don't want to be canceled. They want to be super relevant. And that was true long before this summer, long before the Black Lives Matter protests resurged. Like, I know from working for a beauty company that there are always like brand awareness updates about like what language is off limits, what what language we should be using now. Um, And so I think a lot of wellness companies because they're used to being nimble are now using just like new buzzwords that they know from social media and because of like their diversity trainings that uh, they've just had recently um they know diversity now training yeah led by white women of course <laughs> of course like, yeah that they know now that you're supposed to say bipoc instead of minorities you know like they they're learning they're learning these buzzwords but I think, you know, while while some of these companies are really hashtag doing the work, right. another, <laughs> another buzzword. Um, but while I think that some of these companies really are, you know, genuinely reevaluating stuff, I think a lot of them are just using the buzzwords to camouflage mm. that they are really still just a yoga studio full of rich white ladies wearing yep. the same overpriced athleisure, possibly featuring a bastardized Sanskrit pun like <laughs> Om is where the heart is or my shakas are aligned as fuck or namaste. <laughs> and they're calling themselves oh, a tribe. No. You know, they're like really co-opting and commodifying the, the linguistic rituals of Eastern and indigenous spiritual practices, turning them white and elitist while erasing and shutting out their originators but on the front end, on Instagram, it's like Ooh. we're BIPOC friendly, mm-hmm. you know, um, and even you can even hear the the exclusivity um, or the, the oppression in in the names of certain moves. So, like, I remember going to a yoga class a few years ago at this hip Hollywood studio where the very like influencery blonde um nothing wrong with being blonde but i'm just saying a picture <laughs> just painting a picture the influencery um teacher was like 
okay, now everybody, we're get we're gonna get into happy baby pose, you know that like crotch exposing mm-hmm. pose. But she was like, or as I like to call it, happy boyfriend. And uh, I was just like, what if you're gay? Like, yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. And, like, or single. No. Or single. Or single. Right? <laughs> or single. Let's not treat that as a disease. <laughs> no, no. And I was, you know, you just hear workout moves like, you know, the skinny flamingo kick or like whatever. Yeah. Let's all <laughs> let's all do the skinny flamingo kick so we can all have legs like Taylor Swift. It's like, what the fuck? Oh. Like, <laughs> no. Or, you know, even just the fact that CrossFit named, you know, CrossFit, CrossFit has workouts of the day called WODs. And they have this thing called hero wads where those workouts of the day are named after fallen military and police. And like, you can say till you're blue in the face that like CrossFit is welcoming to black folks. Like CrossFit, you know, everybody's welcome here, but it's like, Mm -mm. dude, you name your workouts, you're glorifying the police in 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 the names of your workouts. Like Mm -hmm. how can you not see that that's inhospitable and unwelcoming? So I think, you know, there's a lot of buzz language going on but if you really like look under the hood at the other language you'll see that it's lip service they don't want you under that hood amanda get out yeah. from under their hood <laughs> they, don't. they don't too bad Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they're not getting your money or our money Mm-hmm. Um, and ten you... you can take it though. Oh god, <laughs> that word! I just oh, lost god. it. It's so. It's like I'm how shook. did they? Uh, <laughs> Listen, um, just you'll have to just take my word for it. Like you can look up a free intense latte class. I'll look it up. And listen, the second you cross into ritual time, my friend, you're going to be like punching the air being like, I'm braver than I think. And you're going to be like, okay, I'm here for it. <laughs> Jackie, oh, report boy. back. I know, right? <laughs> oh, jeez. So, um, you have been so amazing. We, you answered like we didn't even 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 have to ask most of our questions. You just like you. We could have just been like, "Hey, Amanda, talk," and you would have just like you would have educated so many people. Um, uh, the monologue. So <laughs> we we like to call. We like to end all our interviews with a call to action to our listeners, and I want to ask you which you will probably, you probably already have told us the answer. Um, how do we avoid wellness scams? How do we not fall prey to this cap? I mean, like I now I'm, I feel like I'm not going to fall prey just by hearing you talk and most likely buying your book and reading your book. But how do we not fall prey to the, to the language tactics of the wellness industry? Yeah. So I spoke with this fitness historian, um, this, this wellness historian, this PhD, who wow. teaches intense at you, I kid you the fuck not. Wow. Um, <laughs> named Natalia Petrozella. Um, she's really cool. And I asked her, you know, if if someone feels like they might be involved with a cultish wellness community or feel like they might be, you know, falling prey to a sort of toxic fitness or beauty scam, um, you know, what are some questions that one should consider asking themselves to tell whether or not this could be healthy for them. And some that we put together are, you know, is this group genuinely welcoming of all different Mm. people? When you see Mm. the rest of the people in class or like the people that they're featuring in their imagery or like a much better way to, to 
think of it as like who the, who that you know is participating mm. or engaging with this brand is it people that you respect or is it a bunch of sort of like i don't know those like white feminists gauche nobodies type. yes yeah sure yes <laughs> um do you you know do you feel excessive pressure to mm dress and talk like the rest of the people in this community, even when you're not engaging with them, mm. um, is one allowed to participate casually, to dabble? Because that's the thing about these communities is that if you put your entire trust into one of these groups or two of these groups, that's probably not healthy. But our right. identities are made up of the complex panoply of groups and experiences and identities that make up who we are. So it's not good to put your entire faith into one brand or to base your entire ethics system on one brand, even though it may feel very good to surrender to the mm. identity that just like, I'm a Glossier girl. So like when I get up in the morning, you know, uh, what would a Glossier girl wear? What would a Glossier girl eat? What would a Glossier girl read? Like what would a Glossier uh, girl's news sources be? You know, right. like that's not super healthy. You mm. want to have just a more 3D um, ethics system. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so is one allowed to sort of dabble and participate casually, or does it feel like an all or nothing sort of deal? Um, do you trust the guru or the instructor to tell you to slow down when you need to slow down or to maybe um, patronize another business if that is what's best for you? Or are they telling you only harder, faster, more we're the only people that are the answers for you. We're the only products that will, that will work for you. Um, we're the only workout that's going to get you your results. Um, and if you, if you miss a workout or if you, you know, don't renew your subscription, what's the exit cost? You know, like, yeah. will, will I really care? Will you still be able to call yourself a Glossier girl if you want? I don't know why I'm like dragging Glossier. Well, I do, but like, you <laughs> I know, understand. can you, you know, what is the exit cost? Is it money? Is it relationships? Is it your mm. whole world? Is it a price you're willing to pay? You know, you can just like ask yourself these questions. Like, is this, is this healthy for me? Right, um, right. Is, am I, am I putting all of my faith, all of my trust into this fucking eye cream? Mm. Um, and, or can I just buy it because it's an eye cream and it'll make me feel good and it'll make me feel like I'm spoiling myself and then maybe I can do therapy later and get a different perspective that way. And maybe I can do something that, you know, doesn't cost any money. Maybe I can do, you know, I find that my most effective self-care is, this is going to sound really corny, but like my most effective self-care is the volunteering that I do. <laughs> because That's not corny at all. Well, meditation is supposed to like take the ego out of your mind mm. and that's what I find like I volunteer on a suicide lifeline and that's that's what this headset is for <laughs> and um <laughs> that that takes me out of my bullshit Interesting. and that's like and it's really hard work and I and I um and it can be taxing and I have to do things to like decompress but like if we are engaging in self-care to like to um, take our ego out of our mind and to like not sweat the small stuff. Yeah. I find that like volunteering for a group that's bigger than yourself can sort of yeah. fill that 
community and spiritual void for sure that's like really healthy yeah definitely Oh, That's Amanda, great. you're making me miss my dodgeball team, which we oh. also do community activist work. And Oh, my God, you're making me miss it so much. Sorry, that was really fucking earnest, but... No, it's good. Yeah, no, I like good. it. That's good. All the colors. Absolutely. <laughs> Can we round out this interview by doing a couple of rapid fire questions just so that our readers get to or our listeners get to know you outside of the work that you do? Oh, course. Okay. First question or questions that come to mind, other than writing and apparently cult workouts at home, what is your favorite activity to do in quarantine? Dote upon my absolutely spoiled pets. I have two cats and a dog. (laughs) What's your favorite book? My favorite book of all time is Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers by Mary Roach. Ooh, I feel like I can smell that book. (laughs) What have you missed most in quarantine? Traveling. Okay, Mm. yeah, for sure. Recipe you cannot stop making in quarantine. I'm a really miserable cook, but um, we've been doing the uh, vegan meal delivery service, Purple Carrot. Oh! Oh. I've been cooking a lot of Purple Carrot. (laughs) Okay, Jack has a vegan food delivery yeah. service. Maybe I'll reach y'all can out talk to you. Yeah, I'm vegan. she just launched it. <laughs> oh my god, no way! Because I'm like love purple carrot, but like I'm down to switch it up. Yeah, yeah. Ours is all it's like ready to go, so you know, there's no cooking involved, which is even better oh. for people who don't want to cook. I will reach out to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, yes, please. Yes, that sounds that sounds awesome. Oh my god, yes, so exciting. Woo! What is your go-to music of quarantine? Oh, um, oh my god, can <laughs> I? Um, okay, can I? Can I like plug something really? Please quick? plug away. Um, my boyfriend is a music producer and Ooh. just released Ooh. the most beautiful song that's actually very topical because it has religious themes um it's called blessing and he worked with an artist named blue eyes blu with an umlaut just search for blessing by blue eyes on spotify it is an absolutely magical transcendent song and it's been on absolute repeat like it's the greatest thing oh if you can email that to us we'll like tack it to show notes i would love to put that up in the show notes oh my god it's so beautiful and like uh, it it feel it feels very transcendent and very healing and i'm gonna i'll send it to you oh i love it okay thank you so much um how can we sharpen our feminist language skills in quarantine Ooh, uh, well, of course, by reading word slut. I had a feeling. <laughs> yes, by by um by reading word slut, a feminist guide to taking back the English language, available now in paperback, but also in hardback, an audiobook. I recorded it myself. Um, and <laughs> I make all kinds of like really short format um, videos about language and gender on my Instagram that are totally free. So awesome, <laughs> love it. Yeah, I listen to your audiobook when I'm walking, and I said to someone a couple days ago, I love that crap craftspersonship and the guy looked at me like I was sort of crazy and I was like oh he doesn't get it he hasn't sharpened his feminist language skills oh my god live (laughs) yeah my other tip my other tip for sharpening your language skills is that um the next time you get into a disagreement with someone um on social media IRL you know it's gonna happen very soon because times are contentious when you go to insult them or call them a name try to do it gender neutrally and in a scathing specific way so if you want to call so if you want to call a guy a dick don't call him a dick if you want to call a woman a bitch don't call her a bitch 
identify what about her behavior you dislike and roast that. Wow. Can can you give us an example? Yeah. So let's say that um, a woman I encountered um, betrayed me in some way, was, you know, did something behind my back. Instead of being like, oh my God, what a fucking bitch. Mm -hmm. I could say, what a conniving, manipulative, two-faced fucking snake. Oh my God. Okay. You you have talent, my dear. I uh, love that. I, ooh, I do not want to betray you. <laughs> that was, we want that to be was, on the right side of Amanda Montel always. That, that, oh my god, no. I literally that I That was can, cold. I, that was great. I was thinking I was thinking of one person when I was saying that. <laughs> uh-huh. But I don't I don't really have I have like she's my really oh, my only enemy. I, I don't really have enemies, but I do but you know, I'm I like words. So if you want me to insult someone, I can I can just conjure her and think of something. Well, hearing Amazing. you say that cuz I'm thinking of my like college nemesis and she's as exciting as a vanilla cupcake, which no one actually craves. Right. Yes, okay. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you yes. so much. <laughs> uh, what have you been wearing in quarantine? Do you have a uniform? Are you jeans in quarantine? Are you sweats in quarantine? What does Amanda wear? You know, it's really fun. I recently, um, what one of the people I've been podding with is my best friend, and she and I just did a clothing swap to fun. avoid um, to avoid shopping because oh. we wanted some oh. new clothes. Interesting, but we didn't want to spend any money, okay. so we just so I brought a bunch of clothes that I like, but like only sort of twenty five percent like, but are okay. still cute. Over to her house, and she pulled a few things, and we swapped, and now I have like an adorable Madewell shirt that I would not have otherwise bought, but that I'm obsessed with. It's very like 70s sweater. Mm. And um, I did get some little jeans from her. So I highly recommend um, clothing swapping with your friends. Um, But I have been wearing a lot of sweats and um, my, and of course my word slut merch. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Oh, what was your last purchase that you made that really excited you? Oh my God, this is really going to, this is really going to reflect how much of like a cottage core grandmother I've become. But um, at, a, at a socially distanced, very safe flea market the other day, I bought um, this gorgeous, I don't even know how you would describe the material, salad bowl from the <laughs> 70s. It's like this 70s salad bowl with like, ta- like serving yeah, utensils, yeah. Like serving utensils. It's so cute. I'm telling you, like, I was so pumped about it. Wow. Love that. Okay. Love it. it. What's your favorite thing to eat or drink while writing? Oh, my God. So I have, I feel very European in this way. I have one espresso beverage in the morning. Okay. And I have uh, one or maybe two (laughs) glasses of wine in the evening almost every day. Okay. You are cottage core, like hard, like a European yeah. cottage core. I love you it. You're, like, you're in the south of France. Fantastic. Trying and a fuckload of sparkling <laughs> water in between. <laughs> European. And final one. What's your favorite cult? I'm throwing you a curveball, but all this cult talk, I gotta know what your favorite one is. Yeah, that's a fun question because favorite usually implies something positive. Right. But, right. Um, you're gonna but, swing the other way. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I would have to say that the cult whose stories I grew up on, the cult that my dad lived in when he was uh, a high schooler, which was um, a Bay Area socialist utopia, utopia and scare uh-huh. quotes, that ended up um, becoming really fucked up and super violent. Um, it was called Synanon. Mm. That has to be my favorite because I got all these, you know, custom stories from my dad um, and I got to write a little bit about it in in the book and um and i'm actually dedicate well my dad won't listen to this but i'm dedicating the book to my dad because like the whole reason why i have this obsession i mean it's common to have an obsession with cults but the the seed that was planted um was all because of my dad (laughs) who was like so generous with his storytelling and like Mm. so such a good storyteller you know Uh yeah and i think i actually think that my love of nonfiction comes from my dad's um like oral memoirs fascinating damn amanda this conversation has been so lit thank you so much for sitting down and talking to us thank you so much this has been really cool because you're the first people to reach out to me um specifically wanting to talk about the content of my next book oh wow yeah, it doesn't come out um, until June 2021. So, like, we still have time. Got it. Um, but when it do- when when it's available for pre-order, I'll let you know. I'm super excited. I just Please. got um, I just got book cover drafts in. Ooh, um, that's exciting. It's super exciting. I gave feedback because I like have such a um, specific, super specific image in yeah, mind. Cool. I want it to be like really psychedelic. Ooh. Ooh, if you don't get what you want, let me know. My sister-in-law is a book publisher and she's an artist and she's she's in touch with some real far out art, like visual artists. So if you don't oh. find what you want, let me know. She's awesome. Okay. I will connect the two of you. I mean, the person who's designing my cult book cover. Oh, my God. I almost just said the title. The, my don't, cult don't. book title. <laughs> the... the the person who's designing it designed the word slut cover okay. and I love my word slut cover, but the yeah. word slut cover is very minimalist and this yeah. one I want to be very maximalist. Mm. Um, so we'll see. I have faith in her though. Like okay. she's super talented. So we'll see. But I, I love that you have all these talented people, your vegan <laughs> meal delivery service. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to offline about that. Yes. Um, Let yeah, me know about anyway. your burning man camp. I'm interested. Oh my God, that too. Oh my, oh God. Yes. Hell yes. How can our (laughs) listeners keep up with you? We want all the plugs, all the things, hold nothing back because I'm sure now all of our listeners are interested and obsessed with Miss Amanda Montel. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, the only social media I really have is my Instagram at Amanda underscore Montel and I'm very active on there. I post a lot of video content. Um, Right now I'm in the middle of a series that I'm doing uh, a a video interview series on my Instagram called The Downfall, where every week I interview um, an author, an artist, an activist, or maybe even a celebrity about about the downfall of something in our culture that we're either seeing or would like to see. Oh, fascinating. um, Last week, I did an episode on the downfall of toxic positivity. The week before was an episode on the downfall of white feminism. Ah. And um, tomorrow I'm posting um, a video uh, with an author about the downfall of voting practices in this culture. So cool. Busy girl. Light, a little light content there, I see. <laughs> but then here's the thing is that, like, I always choose these, like, heavy or complicated topics to address. But my voice is so sort of, like, light and upbeat that 
it, it never, helps. It, yeah, it I was gonna say it really helps. Up, it doesn't end up feeling depressing. No, yeah, no, I mean, not, I know. It's, it, we it, laughed all through this, right? And we were talking about cults and <laughs> evilness. I know. And then, like the novel, I want. I like sort of started writing a novel in my free time the other day because um, I want to do that. Wow. Next. But I, um, I like, and that's like sort of about death and mortality. But it's gonna be fun. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Damn. Okay. Amanda Amazing. Montel, thank you so much for being on thank the Black you. and Yellow podcast. I also feel like we kind of have to thank Gabby Dunn for this because you were like, I discovered your new book through her show. So shout out to Gabby Dunn because we 100%. We Gabby's have talking one. to you. Yeah, she's dope. <laughs> she's super dope. She blurbed word slut. She's like, she's the best. I love her. Super supportive. I miss her. I, the last time I saw her in person, I think was at my Halloween party last year. We threw cool. like a lit Halloween party. Wow. Fun. So sad that we don't get to do it this year. Wait, you guys are both working on TV shows right now, right yeah oh is i mean gabby's always working on a million things okay if, i mean i don't know how she does it but um but yeah i am i am a developing word slut for tv that's congratulations that's really... yeah like we yeah, had to get awesome. this that's somewhere on this recording because that's <laughs> yeah. fucking tight yes absolutely. yeah no that is that is pretty cool i'm writing um uh, a show about a young language genius who uses her Amanda, thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Let's start by having you tell our audience about the work that you do, but also the past that you have in the wellness industry. Well, that's our show, guys. <laughs> Go ahead, take it, Jackie. Christian's going to edit this anyway. I was like about to open my mouth. <laughs> That's our show, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in, listening in. This has been super, super fun. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We're also on the gram at Black and Yellow Podcast. You can find me personally on the gram at Jacqueline Chung Young. And I'm Alana Webster at Renegade of Fun on the Gram. If you like what you heard or if you have a company and you want us to feature you on our small business segment, it's called Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is. And we want to help you uh, give us an email, podcastblackandyellow at gmail.com. And we will see you next week. Thanks, y'all. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.